On today's episode, Dave interviews Mark Sutton. Mark was a founding member of the Annoyance Theater, the artistic director of the Chicago Improv Festival, and is part of the internationally award-winning comedy Bass Prof with Joe Bill. On location in Chicago, I'm Ian Foley. This is ADD Comedy. That's the thing about living in Chicago, though. You go, it seems to be harder to live in Chicago. <laughs> it's challenging. But you've never lived anywhere else other than the Midwest. Right. Right. So your Indiana is worse than your Chicago in a way. Right. Born in Indiana, went to IU, right. moved to Chicago. Right. Yeah. So you don't know, because today I just came from seeing my, seeing my brother and my sister and my sister-in-law in, um, let's make sure, yeah, in, at this place called Lady Gregory, which is in Andersonville. Mm -hmm. Really beautiful restaurant uh, in Andersonville. And I said, I got to go. I'm going to go. I'm going to jump in a cab. And then three minutes later, I leave. In LA, you go, I'm gonna go, and then you leave. The three minutes are, my code is over there, and I get to get the fucking sky. <laughs> and, <laughs> and in, like, when you go to a party in LA, you go, you say, I'm gonna leave, and then you leave. Just walk out. Yeah. <laughs> you don't go to the coat room and go ru rummaging through people's coats. I don't do that. I, I, you know, I've said it before, I love LA. I just love living really? there. Because uh, that's unusual, because a lot of Midwestern people, a lot of Chicago people are like, oh, I hate to live here, but I have to. Who says that? A lot of people say that. Really? Yeah. I don't believe it. I mean, I believe it, but I also believe that deep down, there is that feeling of, oh, this is, it's nice here. Because right now, <laughs> it's nice here. Right. It's nice there. Right. Because right now, I'm in Chicago. But right now, you know, it's, it's nice there. And what I like about being there, I think I'm a little too loud here. What I like about being there is that idea of you can do anything, you can go anywhere, and you can do anything. Right. Now, you make a living here. You, you're teaching. Mm -hmm. How many classes a week? Just one here at Annoyance. You just teach. When you say one, you mean a class at the Annoyance. You teach. One night a week. One night a week. Mm -hmm. And then what else are you doing? Uh, still a little bit of Bass Prof, teaching on the road, things like that. Uh-huh. And uh, but the majority of my stuff is that I'm I'm now the artistic director of training and development for Second City Communications, so I do improv workshops for business people. Right. Yeah. Right. Look what happened. That happened. It's crazy. It is it's, crazy. It's uh, and it's getting bigger all the time. I was telling somebody I was watching uh, Criminal Minds. I love that show, yeah. Criminal Minds. Mm -hmm. And um, there was an episode earlier this year, I was watching on an airplane, and there was a confrontation in the episode between one of the FBI guys and a lawyer for this guy who they had arrested incorrectly. Mm -hmm. And at one point, the lawyer just holds his hand up to the FBI guy and he says, I'm going to yes and you right now. <laughs> and I just started laughing out loud on the plane. It's like, when, when those phrases are working their way into the scripts of, of serial killer shows, something is going on. <laughs> uh, yeah, the, this uh, group Applied Improv Network. Mm -hmm. I don't yeah. know. I I understand them conceptually, but I have no idea what the fuck that that, that yeah. they are. You know, I know a lot of people in the network, right. um, and I know that they have these conferences right. every year. Right. Uh, but I don't know much more about it. No, it's the same thing about LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. I know a lot of people are LinkedIn on LinkedIn, mm -hmm. but I fucking don't get it. And stop sending me shit about it. It's it's Facebook for professionals. That's what it is. But do you know anybody that's ever gotten work out of it? No. Right. No. I've gotten more work out of Facebook. Oh, I yeah. mean, Facebook, I use it all the time. Right, right. 
yeah, for us, it's a great tool. I also believe that, and I've said this before, how, what an awesome time we live in right now, that I could know what you're doing, I know how to get in touch with you, I can get in touch with you, I know where you are, mm -hmm. and I don't see, like right now, this NSA stuff, I'm going, okay, I get it. People mm -hmm. don't want you know, shit to be known. Right. But there's also something where I think, I have nothing to hide. Well, that's always the that's always the, uh, the 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 excuse, right? It's like, oh, if you have nothing to hide, what are you worried about? Right, sure. The Nazis that, say it's that. It's always that weird. But I also feel like, and and this is the thing about Im improv too, is I'm at a point right now, and I, I I bet you're at this point now where I have nothing to hide. I have no reason not to be honest with somebody. I have no reason not to be truthful, and I have no reason that I have to be do anything other than say what it is that I'm feeling in that moment. Do you understand what I mean? Absolutely. Yeah. It's fucking refreshing. <laughs> it's sort yeah. of like when I got divorced, I felt like, okay, I, I'm starting new. I am mm -hmm. really starting new. And when I say I'm starting new is I'm, I'm going to look at my life in an honest way. I'm going to enter into relationships being able to say, I don't want this, or mm -hmm. I do want this, or I don't want this, but I'm going to do this. Or I'm going to do this and not know what the fuck is going to happen, and I'm okay with that. And this is exactly who I am, and this is what you're going to get. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. And when I tell you what it is that I'm going to tell you, you get to know. It's your choice, and it's always your choice. You're, it's your choice to say, um, David's being honest with me or David's not being honest with me. Mm -hmm. But I'm going to tell you, my word to you is coming through an honest point. If you're ready to hear it, great. If you're not ready to hear it, great. Right. Right. Because you, you've been married, and mm -hmm. you've been married, and you are married. Right. I've been married. I am not married. And in that relationship, I was talking to my sister and my brother-in-law. My sister said this. She goes, I had a really shitty year this year. And I felt like, I don't know that you, I don't think you... You mean that. I think you mean you had, an, you had a year of challenges, and that year of challenges, this is me, that year of challenges taught you so much that you're not acknowledging. Right. And sometimes it takes time to make that acknowledgement, though. Right? It's like when you're, when you're working people through improvisation. Same thing, right? Mm -hmm. You work them through it, you work them through it, you see their progress, but it, until they see their own progress, they... They're not going to make. They're not going to acknowledge the progress. And I can't tell you. I, I can say this to you, but you're not going to get it. Look at your progress. See your progress, because mm -hmm. you're not going to look at it. And you're not going to see it. The only thing that you can do is feel it. Right. And all that I can say is, I cannot wait for you to be able to feel the progress that you're getting. <laughs> it's the same thing with lack of progress. What right? do you mean by that? Is that you know uh, I have students a lot say. Well, have you ever been in that? Have you ever been in that spot where you're not getting any better? You're not, you know, you're kind of in a rut and you're okay, but you're not getting better. And I said, yeah, I was in that spot for about two and a half years one time. And the shitty part of it was that I didn't realize I was in that spot for a year and a half. So the first year and a half was just blissful ignorance. Right. And then I finally realized I wasn't getting better. And then I started working towards getting better. How did you work so, towards getting better? How did you do that? Um, I think it was a combination of stuff. I, I started to make myself do things I was not comfortable with. Which is what? Because I think the plateauing, right, comes mostly with a sense of, a false sense of comfort. You know? 
So things are going well with this improv, these characters, this kind of approach, and it's going okay, so I'm going to keep doing that. But then all of a sudden you realize, oh, I've been kind of doing the same thing for two years, and I'm not, I don't feel any different. Right. So I need to start pushing myself to do different things. And how did you push yourself when you said, so, okay, so for me, when I think about uncomfortable and I think about being on stage, one of the things that I realized with comfort on stage is where are you standing? Because mm -hmm. if you're in, the, in stage, if I'm center stage, my comfort zone is to be the stage left of you or stage right of you. Mm -hmm. The uncomfortable zone is to be behind you right. or stay where I am, upstage right mm -hmm. or upstage left. Mm -hmm. That in itself yeah. is a way for me where I look and I go, that's not comfortable. And I would imagine also that if you've got, if you're a painter and you've got a canvas and you find yourself painting in the middle, the uncomfortable thing is, what do you paint, start, start painting down right yeah. or down left or up right or up left? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because you're still so. on the canvas, you're yeah. still on the stage, you're still in the game. I think that's part of it, you know? Uh, and, and I would do things like, I'm very comfortable <laughs> verbally, you know? And I would challenge myself to, you know, we used to do that show, Screw Puppies. And it was be, I would say, I'm going to do this whole show and I'm never going to talk first in a scene. Uh -huh. I'm always going to wait. Right. And that, that put me in different places. It put me in places I was uncomfortable and I had to improvise in a different way. So it was a lot of stuff like that. It's also trusting yourself to know that everything's going to work out. Mm -hmm. So that if you get, if you, at the beginning of a scene, if you say, I'm not going to speak for, during this first scene, I'm not going to speak until I'm absolutely compelled to speak. You cannot have that. You cannot do that if you don't have a foundation of trusting yourself and trusting the scene yeah. and trusting your partners, which starts with trusting yourself. Absolutely. To know that everything's going to work out. Or not. Well, <laughs> even if it doesn't work out, it works out in the way right. that it's working out. Exactly. Whatever happens is supposed to happen. Right. And even if the scene isn't... My, my philosophy, and the philosophy that I had to come to was that... Even if the scene doesn't go as well as I'd hoped, it's that's going to happen because of choices that I make and not choices that I don't make. Or the choices that you don't make still end up affecting what it is that you're doing. Right. And the word hope has really gotten in my craw because I feel like there's no place for that. For me. Yeah. I don't know what to replace it with, trust, mm -hmm. but hope is such a victim-y Mm -hmm. thing. No, I, I see that. It's like expectation. Right. You can't, you can't improvise with expectations because it's out of your control. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. And it's the thing about being in your life, too, where people go, well, you know, to have that nine-to-five job. What happened, when you took the job at Second City, did you sacrifice something? Um, well, the nice thing about the job is that um, as, as the facilitator, I'm still very much in control of my own schedule, right? So there, there's a certain amount of time and effort that I have to put in with this job title, but it's fairly minimal, and it's just it's not like a full-time position. So I'm still going out and traveling and facilitating, mm -hmm. which allows me to say, oh, no, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to take that job. I'm not going to go there because I have something else going on. or you know, uh, I'll take this gig and not this gig. So I still have a lot of that flexibility, which is nice. You don't audition. Well, I'd like to more, but uh -huh. a lot of times what will happen is that um, I'm not in town, right? right? right. So, uh, and invariably, my agent will call, always call me when I'm out of town. Right. 
to audition for stuff that I can't do because I'm gone. Yeah, no, that's what happens to me because you and I pretty much do the same. Mm -hmm. We it's not we don't do the same thing, but we do have that. As I've sacrificed, and again, I don't think of it as sacrificing. I have. People can say to me, "You've sacrificed auditions for this other thing that I'm doing." But here's the thing: this other thing that I'm doing, that's what I'm doing. Yeah, and you love doing it. I fucking love so it's doing not it. a sacrifice. No, right? not at all. And that's how I look at it. It's it's like, well, you know, I didn't audition for a lot of parts when I was fifty because I was gone a lot. But now I'm fifty-one, and soon I'll be fifty-two, and I'm just, surely there's going to be a part for some guy who's fifty-two. <laughs> you know, eventually it's going to catch up. Right. Well, my dad's eighty. 80, 83, he was born in 32, so he's 82, 80, 81? What year is this? Um, yeah. And he's still auditioning. Yeah. He's still auditioning. And That's he goes, awesome. oh my God, oh my God. But he waited until he was 65 to start mm-hmm. being an actor. You know, I worked with your dad. On what? On the, on the Left Behind audio Oh, series. you did! Yes. You yeah. did. did. What a gig that was. I did was. a couple of those. Yeah. He, he had, he was... He, he was a, a major player. He had a lot yeah. of work on that thing. He yeah. got a lot of work on that thing. But, yeah. I, you know, lately I've been thinking, I really, I would, and he just, he bought a condo this week in Florida. Nice. Is it? <laughs> well, if you're older and you want to be warm, you want to be right, cold. Exactly. That was it. That was it. Today I was thinking, oh, my dad doesn't have to deal with this weather that we have right now. But, um, I, you, I, you know, God bless us a lot. Of, you know, I, I love the folks in Florida, but I just, there's a politic that, that's there that I just yeah. have such a hard time wrapping my head around. Yeah. Down there. I really, really do. Well, you've, you, you're from this area? I mean, you're from the Midwest? Central Indiana. Central Indiana. Born and raised. Mm-hmm. So you don't have any of that South people going on. Well, my mom, my mom is from West Virginia. Mm-hmm. That's about as far south as. We and are. do you get back there? No, well, not to West Virginia. We used to go there every year when I was a kid. Right. Uh, but you know, a lot of her family is gone now. And, right. So, um, she moved here when she was, I don't know, in her twenties. She moved to Indiana. <sighs> lived here ever since. So, pretty much ingrained as Hoosiers. Yeah. <laughs> the idea of, of, of having a family and moving and all that, I, I've been single for so long. Yeah. I've been single for so long. And there's an independent feeling that I have with that of being able to go, oh, I'm going to get up and go. Absolutely. And you have how many kids? Three altogether. Right. 15-year-old in Arizona. <laughs> oh, my God. And, oh, 16. Man, I lost track. He's 16. And then a seven-year-old and a two-and-a-half-year-old. <laughs> So it was well, a very what happened. <laughs> you, know. <laughs> you know, but that's you know that's part of the trade-off too. Is uh, with the second city job because I travel a lot during the week. That has caused me to scale back on traveling with Bass Prop as much, right? Because it's hard. With, uh, the thing that you do with Joe, yeah. Joe Bill, yeah, it's hard to be gone. You know, three days a week and then turn around and say, oh, I'm going to be gone all weekend too, right? You know, it's just it's just tough and it's not fair. It's not fair on the boys or, or on my wife. You know? Right. It's just, that's a lot of time alone. So. And do you feel artistically challenged? And I'm saying that in a good way. Uh, yeah. You know, it's, uh, the, the corporate work sounds like, oh God, corporate work. But, it, you know, it, I, I, I uh, put myself in the mindset of Martin DeMott and, you mm-hmm. know, Martin and, and Martin used to be such an advocate for improvisation for the world. Right. Not just getting on stage and doing it, but. This stuff is so powerful that if you buy in, it will change your life. Right. And 
when we do this corporate stuff, you see it. I see it. You know, I what do you see? see? People, what do you see? I see people who come up to you afterwards and say, I learned stuff about myself in this last two hours that I had no idea. What is it usually that they learn? They learn about how they treat other people, mm-hmm. how they listen, how they process information, how they express themselves. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, we, I, I have had people say, I never had the confidence to stand up and talk in front of people before until just now. And what was that and, thing that turned them, that switched, that thing? Do you, do you, is, you there, know, is there a common denominator with that? I don't think so. I think it's different for everybody, which is the beauty of it, mm-hmm. is finding out which switch to flip. Mm-hmm. Right? It's just like teaching in a regular improv class. Finding out. You, the teacher, finding that out. Yeah. Or, the, or the student looking at that and you, you, you seeing in their eyes yeah. them open up and, you, and, and, uh, and, and, and it's sort of like fishing where you see, mm-hmm. the, you don't see, but you, you, you kind of feel the, the fish nibble bit. at yep. it. And yeah. then at that moment you go, just hold still. And then you zone in, you zero in. Mixing my metaphors, getting back to this. Mm-hmm. Zeroing in on the student saying, okay, good. I see that look in your eye. And I'm going to steer yeah, towards this is that. working. This is this is working right now for you. For you, maybe not for five other people in this room, but for you, it's working. And that's the challenge, right? That's the fun part. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I love it. Me too. But you know, that's all Martin. You know, Martin so believed that anybody could benefit, and I and as I go out and do this stuff more and more, I see that. It's really true about Martin, to, thinking back on it. He was a teacher that, that we all had um, back in the late 80s, early 90s. Yeah, yeah. You know, something Some, like that. I left, I left in 95, and I became the artistic director of Second City in 2000, the year that he died. I took his job. Mm-hmm. But say late 80s, early 90s, those sort of things. And I feel like he was a prophet of the spiritualism that is... The inherent in the in the work that we do, yeah. And so at that moment, he got it, and he got it through his acolyte being Mick, which brought Mick Napier, which brought you know me into know Martin in a different way than other people knew Martin. Mm-hmm. And at that moment, we really, what an amazing thing! Yeah, it was it was beautiful. Uh, just the way he could relate it. And what did you what do you remember about the way that he related it? Uh, for me, it was, it was always about looking past the obstacle towards not, not even the goal, but, but towards the next thing, you know. I remember one time I had directed a show, and we were in a bar afterwards, and he had seen opening night, and I wasn't completely happy with the show. And I was talking about uh, the things that I didn't like about it. And he just started brushing my shirt with his hand. And I thought I had spilled something on myself, you know, because that was Martin. You know, he was just brushing my shirt. And I said, do I, do I have something on me? And he said, no, I'm just brushing away your negativity because there's no room for it right now. God! And I was like, okay, I get it. I should be celebrating that thing that I just created and not dwelling on the parts of it I don't like. And it was those little lessons that he would teach you so powerfully. Yeah. That's beautiful. Yeah. Because that is something, that's an experience that we all get to, we all get to play with. We all get to own that mm-hmm. lesson in that moment. Because yeah. again, it doesn't, the, the improvisation is merely a spiritual delivery system. The fact, the practice of improvisation allows, uh, the practice of 
improvisation allows us to experience. So that negativity isn't about the show, obviously. Right. That negativity isn't about the performances. That negativity is about the way that you look at the world. Mm-hmm. And and it, the lesson was so crisp and clear and clean that you are then able to disseminate that in your own fashion. Right. Yeah. And that is the greatest teacher of all. The teacher will say, I, I own none of this. Right. I have just, I have just discovered a way to tell you about it. Yeah. Well, it's like, it's the Einstein quote, right? Uh, there's a quote by Einstein that, uh, I, I do not teach my students. I merely create a space in which they can learn. And that was Martin, you know? He just, he just gave you a space where you could learn. Yes, and he did give you a space that you can learn. Because the moment that you walk into a room and you saw Martin, you were like, I'm open, up for, I'm open yeah. towards this. I, and and I, my arms are going out in this fashion because that's really, when I think about Martin entering into a room, I, I just go, I'm open to you. And, and the arms coming out makes the chest go, oh, go, oh, go out. Mm-hmm. And the heart, like, here's my heart. Yep. You couldn't be any other way around it. No. Yeah. I've been really thinking a lot about... about the energy that is brought into a space by you entering into that space or the energy that is brought into a space by someone entering into that space. Mm -hmm. So I see you walking up to the Starbucks where I saw you and I haven't seen you in maybe a year or two. I can't remember. Since the 25th anniversary. Right. Which is a year ago, right? Yep. So, and then I see you and because I see you, uh, my heart rate goes up Mm -hmm. and I get really excited about seeing you. And at the, and that's because of who it is that you are. Do you understand what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And and because you are aware of that energy, and you, it's not that you've cultivated it, because it's nothing that you did other than to keep following on that energy of mm-hmm. the, the, the energy of goodness, or the energy of positive, or the energy of listening, that sort of thing. And we are in charge of that energy that we give. Absolutely. And you know that when you walk, and we know some eors. Oh yeah, <laughs> and and those eors, I go. Oh really? Yeah. You're gonna eor it, and yeah. I think you're still eoring it, and you're eoring it online, and you're eoring it on your Facebook, and you're eoring it, and to bring in and and I and I'm thinking about one person in particular. I think, I think that this person feels that they're doing something positive, but I want to grab them and go. You're not. You're not. Yeah. You're not. Yeah. Well, so it goes at, back to what you said in the very beginning, is that it's. Um, Oh, now I, just, now I just lost it. I had it and I lost it. But it, it's that thing of uh, you decide. You decide what you want to be. And it's a choice, right? Happiness is a choice. Being obstinate or whatever that might be is a choice. And yeah, I, I think some people just feel like it's their role to play. I right? totally believe that. You and I told I mean? this person on th- their podcast, they had me as a guest. Mm-hmm. And I said, it's you are deciding that that's yeah. how you're living your life. Yeah. And I feel like you don't, you don't have to do that. Oh, and, and, and what, I, what I just lost that I just got back is at this point in our lives, like for me at this point in my life, uh, I have so many things going on all the time that I don't have time to spend with anything that's not moving forward right when you say moving forward i think i know what you mean but what do you mean which is the energy of you know any any of those people that project that energy of like we need to you know stop having fun stop doing this this is wrong i don't have time for any of that right i i'm i feel like i am constantly even at this point in my life 
moving forward all the time. And anything that even makes me stop, I it's like I don't I don't need that. I have too many people around me who are constantly moving forward. As are well. you going to? Uh, okay, this is. Um... Some people are ready to hear that note, mm -hmm. and some people aren't. Do you give that note? The note being, I'm going to brush off, brush that oh, off. Oh, yeah. You know, that note. Do you give that note, or do you not wow. give that note? I, w I wish I could do it as skillfully as Martin. Right. Uh, and there are people I think that I have, I have done it with. Uh, not that beautifully, but ab absolutely. Yeah. I've been giving people the note of the don't shit on yourself note. Uh that's a great note. Yeah. And I and there's also, and I mentioned this before, this thing about your story, who you think you are. Mm-hmm. Leave it alone. You know, to walk in the room going, you know, I'm the type of person who it's like, nope. My family, we always do, nope. <laughs> you know? I I walk into a space and I always feel like, no, 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 no. That's bullshit you're bringing in. Mm-hmm. And if you're going to come into a scene and say, this has to be a good scene, doesn't make it a good scene. Oh. Or I have to have a good time, doesn't mean that you're going to have a good time. Because your need to bring in, I have to have a good time, is you bringing in the past and the expectation of the future to the moment which doesn't have any room, has no room for you to be in the, pre be in the past, be in the future, and still be in the present and enjoy that moment that you're in. It's too much of a burden to carry. You can't do it. I uh, one of the one of the things that I'm very fond of telling my students now, out of uh, a book that I read on survival and uh, why uh, people live and die. In What's life the name of the book? It's called Deep Survival, and it's about how the brain works uh, in those situations and why some people live and some people die. Mm -hmm. And one of the big things that I took away from the book is that. The people who live generally can assess the situation for what it is and deal with it. The people who die are the people who try to make the situation something other than what it is. And I, I read that and thought, that's improvisation. And, and so the phrase I use over and over now is that you cannot play the scene that you want to be in. You have to play the scene that you're in. That's your only choice. Right. You only have one choice, and that is to play the scene that you're in. I, uh, that, and that lesson, that tool, that skill set, that tool is a learn tool. Mm -hmm. It's a learn tool that we learn through not doing that. Yeah. And when you get to say, oh, I didn't do that. What was it that I did in my not doing that? Mm -hmm. I get to not do that. Yeah. So the idea of being in the scene and saying, this is what I want the scene to be. And then after the scene saying, oh, that was a bad scene, whatever you want to call it. That was only because I wasn't mindful. But if you're not mindful of being mindful, then you won't get that. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And, and once you do get it, <clears throat> then you find those incidences of yourself walking off after a scene and, and saying things like, oh, I thought you were, I was expecting, you don't say that anymore. No. Because you're not thinking and you're not expecting and you're not projecting. You're not doing any of that. You're just right. I use your quote all the time, and I'm so excited to tell you how excited I am about that. <laughs> um, that and I, I got it. I, I didn't get it exact, but that's the way that, that these quotes do uh, are. Um, and that is nobody ever walks away from having watched an improv scene and go, oh, they fixed the bike. Yeah. I, uh, that 
if I'm in a group and I say that in a group and they don't laugh, I'm like, yeah, this is going to be, I gotta, this is, you know, that, that's a litmus test. It's like, that's a litmus test because that's, that's exactly what it's about. Mm-hmm. And my challenge with a bunch of schools is they're teaching people how to talk about fixing the bike. Yeah. They're teaching people how to be excited about the bike. Yep. Manufacture excitement. Manufacture connection. And then, you know, well, and for me... Wait, 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 wait. Manufacture excitement, manufacture connection. That's exactly what those two places are. Yeah. Those two places. Manufacture connection. Wow. That's Mm -hmm. exact. And it becomes a mathematical process. Yeah. Yeah. And it's... They're improvising up here and not down here. Right. You know? You were going to say something. I cut you off. Uh, Well, for me, it, it was all born out of... How do I how do I emphasize the fact that you know because you know over time and we've both been teaching for a long time the biggest hump that improvisers usually have to get over uh, or they think they do is their relationship to the space object work being in the environment what's you know and people hate it improvisers hate it and it's that vicious circle of I hate it why do you hate it because you're not good at it why aren't you good at it because I hate it. You know, why do you hate it? Because I'm not good at it. And, and it's a vicious cycle. And, and it's like, it ha- for me, after a while, it was like, it has nothing to do with your value judgment of it and how you're doing it. It has to do with how you're connected to it. Because if you're not connected to it, it's not doing anything for you. And thus, it will be very easy to drop it. If Once you define it, it exists. Mm-hmm. If you don't define it, it doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. If it doesn't exist, you can't fuck with it. Once you define it, it exists. Once it exists, you get to fuck with it. Mm-hmm. And don't define it until you're connected to it. Exactly. Because, because if, you're, if you try to define it and you're not connected to it, it won't mean anything to You've you. You've got to force a connection there. Right. There it is. Manufacture connection. Right. Yeah. And, and so, so the idea of getting out the exposition, the who, the what, and the where at the beginning of a scene, the exposition sounds like getting out your expectations. Getting out the exposition... Uh, the who, the what, and the where at the beginning of the scene, then you have to manufacture a way for your behavior to live within that exactly. place. Exactly. And, and, I, and I reference two things when I teach this. One is Gelman. Right? Okay, Michael Gelman. The note from Michael Gelman, uh, improvisers spend a lot of time on stage moving things around and not enough time letting the things move them. Yeah. Love that note. And the other thing I reference is you. Because I always say, you know, you, if you watch David start a scene, he's often very physical and very involved in the environment. But every single thing he puts his hands on means something to that character. Everything. He's not just putting himself in a coffee shop to let you know he's in a coffee shop. He's there for a reason. And he knows what it is. Or I'll discover what it is. Exactly. And so everything that he produces has meaning, and that's the difference. And that's why I use that quote. It's you know, and the, 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 the follow-up quote to that that I use a lot now is, uh, you know, you can create the most beautiful improv coffee shop in the world, but if you put two people in it who have nothing to say and aren't affecting each other, right. nobody cares about your invisible espresso machine. <laughs> nobody cares, right? And it's the same thing. I know, right? Right? And I, I believe that we're teaching... I, when I say we, I don't mean you and I, but I believe that we're teaching the wrong things. Mm-hmm. Some of this shit does not need to be taught in the way that we're teaching them. Because if we're teaching people to, to be aware of their environment, to teach them how to mime doesn't help that. If I have, and that's why I love the viewpoints so much, because, every, because they have one of the viewpoints is, you're familiar with the viewpoints? A little bit, yeah. 
One of the viewpoints is something called architecture. And architecture are the objects that you have that you have a relationship with. And the objects are also things like lighting, smell, sound, um, those things, the person, that sort of thing. So when I have a relationship with a particular piece of architecture, I am aware of it and I have an emotional connection to it. And when I have that emotional connection to it, then you have an emotional connection to it because you note how closely I am connecting to that. Whether I abhor it or whether I love it or whether I'm ignoring it, it doesn't mean it does. I don't. To just have an object, to just have an object doesn't help. So for me, it's that it's that quote. It's your quote of you know nobody ever walks away from watching an improv scene saying oh they fixed the bike isn't that great? For me, it's it's the same sort of sentence of two and two is four. Isn't that sad? <laughs> Where you go, there's no emotional connection to right, that. Right. A yeah. fact is a fact. And the notion of expectation is just so fucking huge in everybody's life. It's burdensome. It's so burdensome, you know? And, and people even, you know, I mean, you've, all, you've been there. We've all been there. People who even project it out on the shows, you know? That guy, like you said, it's like, oh, let's, let's do a great show tonight. It's like, I don't want to hear that. <laughs> you're, you're projecting expectation on something we haven't even begun to create. Right. And, 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 and if you say to somebody that, if you say that to somebody, they're going to go, why are you being so negative? It's like, I'm not being negative. I'm just saying, I'm not going to have that. Well, don't you have a good show? It's like, yeah. I, I, do I want to have a good show? I don't know. Let's, don't let's do a show it. and decide afterwards how, how we liked it. If, or not. Right, yeah. I mean, how many, you and Joe do so many, you know, you've done so many shows, you're doing a lot less shows now mm -hmm. than you have before, just factually. Um, but how often do you walk away from a show saying, that was great, or that was bad? Don't you just walk away from the show? Most of the time, yeah. I just uh, walk away from the show. You remember moments, right? right? That's what you remember. Right. You remember little tiny moments, mm -hmm. you know? Right. But the entire show as an entire show? Yeah. Because I've got to tell you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to graph out a piece of cake, okay? So I'm going to take a piece of cake, and I'm going to look at it, and, I, and I'm going to go, oh, cake, I'm really liking this cake. It's a big piece of cake, and I've got a fork. I'm really excited. I've got all my tools for, to, to be caking. So right? <laughs> I have all my tools to, to be caking. I'm going to bite that cake. Oh, that's good cake. And as the cake goes on, if I'm going to compare the seventh bite to the first bite, it's not going to right. hold off. Right. So if I'm going to look at that show and to say, here's that show that I did. Did you like the entire show? It's like, I like that moment. Does that mean you didn't like the other moments? I like that moment. Mm -hmm. I like that moment. Did you not like that moment? That was a moment. It was just a moment. And what is it but a series of moments, right? That's exactly it. That's it's one moment connected to another moment connected yeah. to another moment. Yeah. Do you have regrets? In general? Yeah. Uh, yeah you know, I... I think... And I, I don't want to get personal. I'm not no, asking no, no. that. I don't know if they're regrets as much as they are... Um, like, when I look back now on it, um, and, it, it, you know, you're in the same position I am, where I can't turn on the TV anymore without seeing somebody I know or used to work with, you know? And it's, and it's never a jealousy. It's never like, oh, that should be me, or that sort of thing. But... It, I think if my biggest regret is that I didn't invest more early in Second City when I was here. Mm -hmm. Because I, I look back and think, and two things. I look back on one level and say, ah, I wasn't ready. I was so shitty and raw and green when I first came here. I was not ready. Um, but then I look back and go, man, if I had invested then and gotten better 
then, maybe I could have worked with you on a stage or, or you know, been in a show with Steve Colbert or somebody. Not to just say I was in a show with Steve Colbert, but those were some really wonderful shows and beautiful things. And it was like, it would have been cool to be a part of that or at least put myself in a position to have a chance to be a part of that. But then you look at the flip side of it and say, well, people, people say, why didn't you do that? And, so, and the response is always, well, I was at a place where I could do whatever I wanted. That's what I'm, so when you know? I'm hearing that, I love the second part of that. Because the first part of that, you did include this, like you just weren't ready for that yet. Mm-hmm. It's not a regret, because if that was meant to happen at that time, you would have been preparing, you right. would have been in, you would have been preparing for that. Mm-hmm. So right now, looking back on it, it's not as if you were airdropped into that place in your life right. and, and you go, well, there's that door and there's that door. Which door are you going to take? Right. It's like you were led towards that door. Yes, there's that door, but you were led towards that right. door. Right. So that idea of, you know, because I look at what, it's so interesting, because I look at what you did, and again, I'm not saying, I wish that I did what Mark did, because mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I don't. But I look at what you did, and what you were doing in that time, and I don't ever for a moment even think, what, boy, he really could have done more. I look at what you did, and I was like, that's fucking exciting. All the shows that I yeah. saw you do, all of them, I never said, and I'm not, I'm not looking to boost you up, mm-hmm. I'm just saying, it's so interesting that you look at that time and say, I wish that I was doing, or I could have been doing that, or whatever it mm-hmm. was, and I look at what you were doing at that time, and saying, that was some fucking exciting oh, yeah. shit, man. It was amazing. Some really amazing stuff. Yeah. And that stuff, we can't weigh it. Well, first off, we can't weigh it. But second off, we can't weigh it. Yeah. Then, it's unweighable and it can't be weighed. <laughs> I, I, I will tell you the one moment that I absolutely don't regret. And that was um, when we did the Brady Bunch. Yes. And it was time for the Brady Bunch to go to New York. Yes. And I had a choice to make. And the choice was I could go to New York City and perform on a stage in New York sh- City. Mm-hmm. I almost said New York City. You did. New York City. You didn't almost. You clearly I, did. I, I could go to New York City and I could perform on a stage eight nights a week, eight shows a week in New York City, in Greenwich Village. Right. Right? I could do that or I could stay in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Right? And I chose to stay in Chicago. Mm-hmm. And as a result of that, because so many people went to New York City... I was doing 11 shows a week, but instead of doing a show 11 times, I was doing 10 different shows, different kinds of shows, different styles, different characters. And I was, during those months, I felt like I grew more than I've ever grown before. Right. Because it was like, this is a different challenge every night, sometimes two, three shows a night. Right. It's like, now you're playing this character. Now you're doing a musical. Now you're doing this. Now you're improvising. It was like, holy shit. Right. Right. But I would not trade that for the world. No. And, not, and also looking at that, that, not just those experiences, not just those experiences, but the um, adjunct experiences that were connected to those. Learning how to direct a show, learning how to be mm-hmm. in a show, learning how to accept other, learning how to accept and work with other people, learning how to express yourself, learning how to learn how to express yourself. Mm-hmm. All those things that trickle within that, all that 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 rich tapestry um, that you learn because of that, and certainly you would have learned other things at yeah. that other place. You know, um, did you ever go there? No. You never went there? never did the show in New York. You never did the show in New York. I did the show in New York, and I loved it. But then I I was 
you know, essentially airdropped into that show. Mm -hmm. So I did the show there, I think, for a week or whatever it's going to be. And I look back at that time, and if you said, when was that? I would say, oh, that was clearly 1963. <laughs> we were in Greenwich Village. You don't have that feeling to it. It's like, yeah, we were all hippies, and we went out, and we drank the night before, and we were just still smelling of alcohol when we entered into that theater. Yeah. And I remember, you know, naked people walking all over the place, and it was great. And then we went to see Bob Dylan and Dave Van Ronk at the Chili Factory down the street. You know, whatever it's going to be, right, to live right. in that world. Um, but what I do remember are the relationships. Yeah, I remember the relationships. You know, I, when I was in New York uh, interviewing Jody Lennon, I was thinking how great that was. You know, to, uh, remembering Jody at that time and remembering all the people that were associated with Jody, and you know, it just—it's crazy. Yeah, and it's nice that. You know, Joe says this a lot. It's nice that almost anywhere you go now, there's somebody that you know, that you have that connection with. Right. You could step on a stage just about anywhere and still feel at home. Right. And that's, that's really cool. Right. The fact that whenever, when I was in, uh, when I was in um, L.A. and I would come to Chicago because Katie, Katie, my wife still lived here, um, that I, where would I go you know, I would go. I would go and do the Screw Puppy show. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't go and do Second City. I would do the Screw Puppy show, because that energy I couldn't get anywhere else. Yeah. And you were part of that. You are part of that still. How are things different now? No, 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 no. What is what is the same now mm -hmm. with the annoyance that was back then? Uh, I think the same is uh, two things for me that how we are relating the work to new people, mm -hmm. right, is still very strong and very much that same point of view. How, when, when we have classes and new people, how we're relating that work and our mindset is still very consistent and very strong. And I think the sense of playfulness in the space, in the theater, is still very strong. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the difference to me is that it's, it, it's not as much uh, a theater company anymore it's more of a revolving door of a lot of different people. Because, mm -hmm. you know, like back in the day, there was, you know, maybe 20 people. And you would see different combinations of those 20 people in just about every show. Right. Uh, and now it's a little more spread out. But I, but I think, and, and I'm not as connected as I was, but I think that that, that, that sense of, of risk and playfulness that Mick has always imparted, I think the people who are performing there now have embraced that and really, really feel that. And that's important. The idea of having a concept of what it is that you do and uh, being able to duplicate it, mm -hmm. to say, uh, to say uh, when, we run, when we come up with an idea for a theater company, to be able to say, I am going to have people with me who can relate to what it is that I'm saying so that this can be du duplicatable. Du mm -hmm. Duplicatable? Duplicatable. Duplicatable. Yeah. Because if it's not, then there's nothing there. But right. that's what I... There is... And I think this is what it is. There is an annoyance style. Mm -hmm. And because of that, people... Pe people are drawn to it. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I had this question come up in that uh, class that I was speaking to last week. And, and because they asked me about it. And I said, you know, for us, we never set out to be edgy or strange or out there. I said it was just a, a, a very um, beautiful confluence of a bunch of people who 
kind of thought the same kind of shit was funny. Right. And, you know, it was never that discussion of, oh, this is really going to shock people. It's just like, I think people are going to find this funny, right? Or to say, <laughs> I find this funny. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and, and it also goes back to you saying you're going to move forward and those other people that don't have that energy, th those aren't people that you're inspired by. Right. And to surround yourself with those people that you're inspired by um, is so important. Yeah. And if they don't inspire you, go away. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because I know for me, a major part of where I am right now has to do with me saying, I'm in a failed marriage. Mm -hmm. And my failed marriage is I'm trying to make this work through hope. And I cannot make it work through hope. I need to say, and this is where the, this is where that comfort zone comes in, because there's something about being comfortable with the with the angst. Oh yeah. And when you're comfortable with the angst, going, well, this is just the way it's going to be from this point forward, yeah. and I'm going to be that guy that's going to be dying in bed, having not had an <laughs> orgasm in 25 years with someone, you know, and to go, that's just the way it's going to be, <laughs> and to say, no, it doesn't have to be that way. Right. Yeah. But that's a hard thing to do. It is a fucking hard thing, to, hard do. thing to do. But here's the thing about being on the other side of the door called hard thing to do is the other side is open space. Exactly. Which is also a hard thing to do because the moment you go, oh, in one sentence, I changed everything. Everything. Mm -hmm. I said something to somebody that changed everything. And do I regret that? No, because I wasn't airdropped into that situation. Right. You need the beginning of the scene in order to take you to the middle of the scene. We don't have to see the beginning of the scene. Right. <laughs> but it has to have existed. Exactly. Have existed. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And you have to look at me and go, oh, this character just didn't come. And this character being me, I just didn't fly into this situation. You know, everything led up to this point. Right. And I'm at peace with that. Because the only source of suffering is non-acceptance. How could I not be at peace with this? This is what's happening right now. Yeah. And all I can do is, all that I really can control is how I respond to things. Oh my God, man, right? It's all I and, can control. And when that lesson comes to you, what a joyous lesson. Yeah. All that I'm in charge of is how I respond to that. And it's true of in the middle of a scene. Absolutely. Where right now, if I want to keep taking this down argument alley, I just have to keep walking down argument alley. Absolutely. Or I can just choose to shut up. Right. <laughs> right. And the you idea know? of shutting up is not you not saying anything. It's the engagement of you engaging in not saying anything. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Absolutely. I choose to engage in silence right now. Exactly. And, my, and I'm going to be very good at this right now. But I have to be aware that I'm doing it. I get to be aware that I'm doing it. And your, your business person that said I had trouble get standing up in front of a group of people in that moment, he gets to be aware that he just stood up in front of a group of people and spoke. Mm -hmm. And to say everything from this moment on is different. Yeah. He's still okay. It's <laughs> still okay, right? <laughs> it's gonna be okay it's gonna be okay because it's been okay yeah yeah and it's gonna continue to be okay yep 
And you're in charge of that. Because right now, I know for me, not that I'm going to, but I can worry about nine things right now. <laughs> And oh, it's going to take me away from this conversation that we're. It's going to take me away from from the energy that you and I are 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 in, in engaging in. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Whatever keeps you away from what it is that you're doing is what you're doing. And and I think about people like Susan Susan Messing. I think about, you know, she is a like look at that fucking human being and all of that energy. And I watch her and I feel like that moves me. That inspires me. Um, and she can be very fucking negative. Yeah. And I love that about her. And she, she knows it too. Yeah. But as long as she knows it, it's okay. Yeah. Yeah. And you, talking about energy, uh, somebody once said of Susan to me that even if you'd never seen her before, right? When she walks onto a stage, you know something interesting is going to happen. Why is that? Why do you think that is? I, I don't know, but you can just see it. You can just, people can see it in her. Mm -hmm. It just comes out of her. Something interesting is about to happen. Right. Like, Susan's never just up there <laughs> no. hanging out. No. Something is going to fucking happen when she's up there. And that's a beautiful thing. And you, you, cannot help but be drawn to that. We're doing, a, we're headlining a, a stand-up show on the 28th. Oh, I saw that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And here's the thing. I have no idea what's going to happen. <laughs> you know what I mean? I have yeah. no idea what is going to happen. All that I know is something is going to happen. And when I look at that, I don't think, oh, there's going to be five stand-ups before I go up there and the audience is going to have this expectation and what is that going to be? Because really what I'm thinking of is I get to behave with Susan. Yeah. And I don't mean behave. I mean, I get to be involved in behavior yeah. with Susan yeah, yeah. You know? And whatever that is, it's going to be fun. Yes, there will be moments of that where I go, that was fun or that was dangerous or that was stupid or nobody liked that except me, and I love that I didn't know that, or I thought that was stupid. Yeah. And that's one of the things, again, you know, that, that I think goes back to, to Martin's feeling about it. Martin DeMont, his, his feeling was, it's whatever it is that you think it's going to be. And I remember being in a level five show, and I remember saying, oh, because Michael Gelman was going to take us, and Michael didn't take us, and Martin ended up, and it felt like we were the redheaded stepchild. And Martin <laughs> said, um, uh, what's your closer? And we showed it to him, and we said, but we don't like it. And he said, let's, what if, what if you did? <laughs> what if I you did? It. What if you did like it? What if you did like it? <laughs> what if you did like it? Yep, that's classic. Right? That's and then you go, okay, yeah, what if we did like it? And then we started to go, oh, we're going to like it. <laughs> That's all it takes, right? That's all it takes. Yeah. And it's, again, it's a decision. He used to tell me that about teaching. Because uh, he, he said, every, you know, invariably when you teach, and when you teach a lot and you've taught for years, there's going to be a class here and there that is tougher for you as a teacher than other classes. And uh, I was talking to him about that one time because I was in, I had a class like that. And I said, boy, this just... It just it takes everything I've got every time I have to teach this class to just walk in the room. And he said, you know what you do? You put your hand on the doorknob 
And before you open the door, you stop and you say to yourself, man, I love this class. And then you walk in. That's what you do. You tell yourself that you love the class. And that's the energy you walk through the door with, not the other energy. It's like, yep, that's exactly it. Again, so simple, but that's all it is, is you get to decide whether this is going to be a good three hours of your life or a shitty three hours of your life. That's up to you, you know, because you can, anything that happens, you can view it however you want. So you just have to choose to view it from a positive space, either as a lesson or a teaching challenge or whatever that is. So that was, that was a great piece of advice as a young teacher <clears throat> from him. Great. Let's end there. All right. Today's episode was sponsored by GoDaddy. Thinking about starting a new website? GoDaddy is offering one new or transfer.com for just $1.99 for the first year. Go to GoDaddy.com and enter the code ADDcomedy at checkout or click on the GoDaddy banner on our website, ADDcomedy.com. Hello, ADD Comedy Podcast listeners. Dave Rozowski here. First off, thank you for listening. We really appreciate it. And second off, if you've ever wanted to take a class with me but thought, gosh, I don't think I'll ever be around where David is, know that you can now take the virtual class at iActing. Just check our website out, and there's a link there. Click on that link, and that will set you up. you got to do a little hunting, but I think that it's well worth it. We'll hear you in your ears. Bye. Thank you for listening to the ADD Comedy Podcast. For Dave Rozowski, I'm Ian Foley. For more information on ADD Comedy, you can visit our website at www.theaddcomedytour.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at ADD Comedy Pod. If you're in the Los Angeles area and you're interested in taking a class with Dave, you can find that information at his website at www.davidrozowski.com. Sound services for the ADD Comedy Podcast was brought to you by Post Apocalyptic.